If you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have, turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. I want to begin there this evening. I want to read to you um, several verses, really, starting at the 13th verse. And so, anyways, uh, I'll give you just a moment to find it. Mark chapter 3. We're going to begin at verse 13. Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 13, says, And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sickness, and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. And he surnamed them. I'm not sure how to say that. Anything I would say would be a stab in the dark. Bo, Bo Henry, I don't know. But it, what it means is the sons of thunder. All right? That's what it says. Which is the sons of thunder? Verse 18. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into a house. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is beside himself. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth, out, casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom to be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house to be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith uh, whosoever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation, because they said, he hath an unclean spirit. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude said about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about of them which said about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Will you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you right now. Lord, we thank you for the good day and for the many blessings. <clears throat> we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here tonight, to worship together, to fellowship together, to lift your name up together. We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings that you poured out on us. But we thank you most of all tonight <clears throat> for your son, Jesus. Lord God, that you sent him and give him so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. Lord, I, we just pray tonight that you would have your way and your will in our midst. God, our heart's desire is for you to be glorified, for you to be lifted up in everything that has been said and done here and that continued to be said and done. Lord, our prayer tonight is, is that you would just search our hearts. God, that you would just move in a mighty way. Lord, that you'd have free reign and have your will and your way in our midst here tonight. God, our heart's desire is for you to just uh, uh, move amongst us here tonight, God, uh, and do what only you can do, and we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. So, Lord, I'm asking, Lord, that you'd touch each one that is here. 
God, that you'd lift us up and comfort us. God, that you'd draw us near to you. God, that you would encourage us. Lord, that you would just, uh, anyone here that stands in need of a healing touch, Lord, we know you're the great physician. We know all true healing comes from you. So, Lord, that's what we ask tonight, Lord, is that you would just give a touch in the body to those that stand in need of it. And Lord, we pray, Lord, if any are, uh, need to be lifted up, that you lift them up. If there's any here that's not sure where they stand, if there's any that, that have uh, maybe let some things creep into their heart and their life that does not bring belong there, that does not bring you glory, that does not please you, Lord, I pray that tonight you'd pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction upon them. And Lord, that you wouldn't give them any peace until they repent and get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. Lord, my heart's desire is for you to have your will and your way in our midst. And we'll give you the glory, all of the glory. And we'll give you the praise. And Lord, let me ask one more thing of you. I need your help tonight. I can't preach lest you give it to me. I don't even, I don't even know what to say lest you show me. So, Lord, I'm asking, clear my mind of everything except for your message, your words. Lord, I'm asking that you'd help me to focus on your message, your words. Lord, that just sharpen my, my focus here tonight. Help me to be sensitive to your spirit and follow your leading. God, my heart's desire is not to say anything but what you want me to say. So, Lord, I'm asking that you'd use my tongue here tonight. Lord, that... Lord, that you just have your way and your will here. And we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. God, we love you tonight. We worship you. Lord, we want you to have free reign amongst us here by your spirit. Lord, so we just invite your holy presence in, Lord. And Lord, I'm asking for your anointing here tonight. Give me the words you'd have me to say. And we'll give you all the glory. We love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. You continue to pray for me tonight. This portion of scripture here. In Matthew chapter 3, it parallel, or not Matthew, Mark chapter 3. Boy, if I've said Matthew earlier, I'm, forgive me, it's Mark. I said Matthew. Man, pray for me tonight. Pray for me. Um, Mark chapter 3 is what I read to you, verses 13 through 35. I've, I've got Matthew on the brain. Um, let, me just, let me just get it out there, all right? This parallels... Matthew chapter 12, chapters 11 and 12, okay? Uh, if you will remember, um, and maybe I was say, maybe Matthew is so on the brain because that's what's in our Bible study, and we've talked so much um, about it, and as I was studying for this, I was thinking it's, it's ahead of where we're at, but I was thinking how it parallels uh, with this section in Matthew. If you, if you remember in Matthew... Uh, I, I've been telling you, teaching you on Wednesday night, how to divide up the book of Matthew, meaning how to, to, to see the divisions in it. And we've talked about, and we started out, and I talked with the five sayings, and, and how and that's like in a literary sense, that's how it's divided up. Um, I've emphasized to you um, not to get too caught up in, the, um, in looking at things in chronological order. But there is a basic chronology to it. It's just not strictly in chronological order. Matthew wasn't overly concerned that every exact event is in the exact right chronological order. It, you, you, you'll see as we go through Matthew that he was much more concerned about like things being grouped together. That's why there's two chapters or three chapters of parables together, right? That's why there's two chapters of miracles just back to back, right? That's why you see these certain things grouped together. And I was telling you, if you look at the basic chronology of the book of Matthew, you can see the three years of Jesus' ministry there. Remember I said the first year is the year of preparation. The second year is the year of population. 
popularity. The third year is the year of passion, okay? And remember, I told you guys um, the way that you can find that, and you can find that any four of the Gospels, you use John the Baptist as your reference point. He's your reference point. When John the Baptist uh, baptized Jesus, that's the beginning of the first year of Jesus' ministry, the year of preparation. When the John the Baptist is tossed into prison, that is the first year, uh, or that is the beginning of the second year, the, that year of popularity. Whenever John the Baptist is executed, you can find that point also, and that is the beginning. That is the beginning of that third and final year, that year of passion. Okay, the last year, right, of Jesus's earthly ministry before his crucifixion and then resurrection. I, and then we've got into the year of popularity, and I was telling you how you can divide that into five sections. And this right here is probably what's got my mind tangled, I've allowed to get my mind tangled here, is if you'll remember, I told you, I don't like the uh, alliteration. I just think it's corny for the most part, but it kind of works too. And if you'll remember, there's five, there's five E's, right, that you can divide that chapter or divide that section, right? From Matthew 4.11, that's where we see John the Baptist is thrown into prison, to Matthew 14.1. That's where we see John the Baptist is executed, okay? So between those two points is the second year of Jesus' ministry, the year of popularity. You can divide that with the edicts of the kingdom, right? That's his Sermon on the Mount. And then you've got um, the envoys of the kingdom. That's the sending out. Uh, you got the examples of the kingdom. That's the parables, right? Because each parable, he says, the kingdom of God is likened unto, or the kingdom of heaven is likened unto, right? Examples of the kingdom. He's trying to teach what the kingdom is like. That's why that's the examples of the kingdom. And the miracles, that's the one I can't think of the E word for the miracles to save my life right now. But anyways, then that's the section, right, on the miracles. And then the other one is the one that parallels with what I'm reading to you here in Mark chapter 3. Enemies of the kingdom of God. Jesus is facing opposition here. Enemies of the kingdom. When we get there in Matthew, it's enemies of the kingdom in Matthew is chapters 11 and 12. And we'll see there's four groups of enemies there. Right? We, we see that he has political opposition. And then we will see there is social opposition. And that's two groups of enemies. The third group of enemies we'll see is religious opposition. And then the fourth group is family, or you could say friends and family, right? Close, um, intimate, people he has close, intimate relationship with, right? That is, we just call that family, uh, family opposition, or friends and family that are opposition. And so those last two groups, religious and friends and family, that's what, we're, that's what I've read to you, Mark's parallel account here in chapter 3. So we look at chapter 3 uh, here in Mark. And I, and I chose Mark's gospel because Mark is more abbreviated overall, meaning he doesn't give as many things that happen. But in some of the ones that he gives, he gives more detail. He gives certain details in this one that I wanted to bring out, and so that's why I chose it. So... As we look at this, what I've read to you, and we look at what is going on and the, everything that's going on around here, we learn, first of all, if we were to go back and read some before it and read some after it, we, we learn that Jesus has cast out a devil from a young man who was blind and dumb. We will see that the Pharisees heard about it, and they accuse Jesus himself of being demon-possessed and of working miracles by the power of the devil, by the power of Satan himself. But Jesus gives us the parable of the strong man and explains how it would be impossible, and I read that to you, how it would be impossible for the devil to cast out himself. All right, And there's a lot in these passages, these two passages of Scripture. Um, I mean, there really is. There's a lot. I'll guarantee you one thing, right? If we just had open discussion which we're not having open discussion, but if we were having open discussion, I promise you there'll be questions about blaspheme of the Holy Spirit or blaspheme of the Holy Ghost, right? There would be. I mean, people are concerned about that. People wonder about that, right? We see here, and I'm just going to let you in a little bit here, we see here that the Pharisees accused Jesus of being possessed with a devil or a demon or Satan himself, 
at using that power to cast another demon out. He, what, what Jesus done by the Spirit of God, I think it's Matthew's gospel that makes it clear that it's the Spirit of God that does this. What Jesus done by the power of the Spirit of God, they attribute to the work of Satan. And because of this, Jesus talks about, um, they can say whatever they want about him. They can say whatever they want about people. But when they say things like that about the Holy Ghost, it's unforgivable. And so anyways, that is the context. Now you read what you want into it. There's lots of different interpretations. When we get to it in Bible study, we can talk about it to your heart's content. But here is what I want you to see in this tonight. There is one thing that is clear in these passages of Scripture. And that is that Jesus is fighting against Satan. And I want you to take special notice tonight what happens when Jesus openly opposes the devil. When he openly opposes Satan and Satan's work and fights against him, he finds opposition. There is all kinds of opposition. I'm trying to preach to you tonight about who fights you when you fight the devil. All right? Would you take a stand against the devil? I'm trying to show you some examples of the opposition that is going to rise up against you. If you openly oppose the devil, you you might actually find some of that opposition come from very surprising places. Now, let me say this tonight. I don't know what you think or what you feel, or what you believe about the spiritual realm and what that looks like and what kind of things happen there and how that affects you or me on an everyday or individual basis. But let me make it clear to you right now tonight, I am trying to expose the devil and some of the things that he does and how he works. And if you think that he is not fighting against that in the spiritual realm right now, you are, you're wrong. I mean, you're just wrong. There is actually, that's why I've said a couple times, pray for me tonight. So let's look. Let's look at the sources of the opposition that Jesus deals with here. First one um, is his friends, Right? Jesus had gone up into a mountain. He had cast out devils. He had healed the sick, right? Unclean spirits had recognized him as the Son of God. He had ordained the twelve to carry out these same wonders and miracles and signs and do the same things that he was to fight against Satan in his kingdom, right? That's the first few verses in this chapter, the first several verses. And then notice in verse 20 and 21, and the multitude cometh together so that they could not so much as eat bread. So they're such big of a crowd and they're so um, crowded around and they're so occupied and they're so coming, right, that they couldn't even eat dinner is what he's trying to say. Jesus' disciples couldn't even take time to eat dinner. In verse 21, and when his friends heard of it, now I told you the first group that we're going to talk about, opposition where it's going to, where it's going to come, it come from here, and we need to learn from this now, is his friends. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, on him, for they said he is beside himself. His friends, when they heard what was going on, they said he has lost his mind. That's what they're saying, right? They thought that Jesus had gone crazy. They, when it says his friends, I can only imagine these are the people that's been his friends since childhood. And think about this for just a minute, right? Here's the point I'm trying to get at. They had not opposed him before, right? I mean, theoretically, we can say that, or hypothetically, that these people had been his friends for years. Maybe some of them had been his friends for 30 years, right, since childhood. And they had not tried to oppose him then. 
They didn't oppose him until he fought against Satan. The truth is that they really just did not understand who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. I don't know who this is for tonight, but I'm not, I don't have a message like this for no reason, and I don't have uh, Satan fight against uh, for no reason either, like he is tonight. So listen to me tonight, right? Uh, perk up and listen here, right? Uh, he fought against Satan, and when you fight against Satan, your old friends will often oppose you. They absolutely will. You know, the number one thing I see, I'm not talking about somebody who has been, although that can be the case too, I was going to say Christian from childhood, but the example I'm thinking of right now is when somebody in adulthood, especially somebody who has been living um, a very ungodly life, whether it's, you know, they've been mixed up in addiction or, or, you know, just deep in sin, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. Sin is sin. People have trouble understanding that, right? I'm telling you, sin is sin. The nature is all the same, right? I mean, there is, as a society, there are certain things that we consider greater or lesser sins. But listen to me. Sin is the sin. It's all the same, right? It all results. The punishment is the same for all of it. The effect on the soul and the body is the same. The result is the same. Sin is sin. And one thing that I noticed, somebody who teenage years or adulthood or whatever, they get saved. I mean, they really decide that they're going to turn their life over to God. They're serious about it. The number one thing that I am concerned about as a pastor, whether I'm a friend, family member, or their pastor, that I'm concerned about and I worry about is their old friends. It's their old friends that's going to be right there that Satan is going to use to tempt them. It's their old friends that Satan is going to use to, to say whatever needs to be said. Like, right? For some of us, you know, it coaxes us back as simple as trying to convince us that it's not that bad. Or everyone else, you know, the rest of the world thinks it's okay, you know, or, or, or trying to convince us that we're trying to be some sort of religious fanatic or religious nut. Or we're taking it too extreme or we're taking the Bible too literal or that's not really, you know, all that kinds of stuff. It's the old friends that he uses that is right there. It's the old friends that come along and says, Hey, come go with me. Let's have some fun. It's the old friends that come along and he uses as the temptation. Now, when you face this opposition, I want you to keep something in mind. Remember what Ephesians 6.12 says. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You've got to remember that. You've got to keep that in mind. Your fight is not with your old friend or whatever the source is, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You want to know how to overcome it. You want to know how to defeat it. As a pastor, and this is just my cheap out, my easy out, I would like to see somebody that's come out of that kind of lifestyle come out of that problem. I would actually like to see them move somewhere where they don't know nobody. That's really their best chance, just to be honest with you. Now, that's the truth. But that's not the case. Not, most times, that's not the case. Most times, they still live right there in the same town, usually the same house, and they got the same people they work with. There's the same old friends. They don't realize anything is different, and it don't mean anything to them. They're wanting their old buddy back. They want their old drinking buddy back. They want their old running around buddy back, right? They want things to be like they always have been. They don't see things. You're a new creature in Christ. They don't see things the way you see them now. Ephesians 6.12 tells us, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That person is not your enemy. But the verse goes on and says, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
Listen to me. Satan and his demonic buddies is who is behind it. That's who's got control of them and pulling their strings. Right? I'm not saying that they're possessed with a devil, although they could be. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying they've totally surrendered themselves to Satan, given over completely to the sin nature, just like you were before you got saved. Right? And that is who's influencing them. That is who's guiding them. Once you're saved and following God, you're being influenced by the Holy Spirit of God and guided by the Holy Spirit of God, they're still being influenced by Satan and guided by that principality, that wickedness, that spiritual wickedness that's in high places, right? That darkness of this world. And the opposition that they come against you with, tease you, make fun of you, call you names, whatever they think that they, you know, that is going to get there and work, or maybe get mad at you, the opposition is born out of their misunderstanding. In this case, the opposition is, it would come out of their misunderstanding of who Jesus was. The opposition comes from their misunderstanding of who you are as a Christian and what you are doing when you fight against the devil, when you resist him, right? It is a misunderstanding. They don't, they don't get it. The flesh cannot understand, the carnal mind cannot understand spiritual things, nor will it. That is, remember, that is what you're fighting against. Your fight against the devil. Now, here's the second group that I want you to see in this. Verse 22. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem says, He has Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth, out he, er, casteth he out devils. The scribes. This is religious folks. The scribes, sometimes I say this and people don't understand or they get confused. I talk about lawyers. That's the scribes. They were experts in the law of Moses. That's what a lawyer is, by definition. That's why they went to school. That's why they passed the bar exam, or supposed to have passed the bar exam, and all that. They've studied the law. They're an expert in the law. That's what these scribes and many of these Pharisees were. They're lawyers. They are experts in the law. The only difference is when we think of a lawyer, we think an expert in the United States Penal Code, Right in our laws and our constitution here in the United States, they were an expert in the laws of Moses. But now here's the thing about them. They were a bunch of hypocrites. They were a bunch of hypocrites. They were play actors. They were pretending to be something that they actually wasn't. In this case here, the scribes came down on Jesus. They told lies on Jesus. Um, listen to me. If they Think about this for a minute. If Jesus' enemies would tell lies on Jesus, think with me for a minute. Jesus. What did he ever do wrong? Who did he ever hurt? Who did he ever even tell a little bit of a fib on? Or lie? Or, you see what I'm saying? The only perfect person to ever walk the face of the earth, and this is how they treated him, they told things that were absolutely, not only not, only not true, but ridiculous about him. If they will tell lies on him for fighting against the devil, we surely can expect no less. We surely should expect the same. Can I give you one piece of advice that I have learned in the last 15, 17 years, however long it's been? Don't fight it. Listen to me. You don't have to amen me, but I'm giving you good stuff here. Don't 
fight it. That's our reaction. That is our natural tendency. Somebody goes out here, right? You're you're fighting the good fight. What do you think Paul was talking about when he talked about fighting the good fight? Right? He's fighting against the devil. He's fighting against Satan. Right? He's engaged in spiritual warfare. That's what you and I should be doing. And when we fight against that in our own lives, in the li- you know, as we go out into the world trying to win people, trying to be a witness, trying to be a light, right? When we fight against the devil, he don't like it. He's going to fight back. And you're going to see the hypocrites make up all kinds of things, say all kinds of things. And some of them are going to be completely ridiculous and you know okay I won't tell you what you want to do I'll tell you what my nature wants to do and I think you're probably not that much different than me I want to fight back I think that's baloney you had the, no I, I want I want the truth to be known I want to go and prove them wrong. Right? I want to face this thing down. Now, let me ask you a question. Right? I, I've seen some nods, and I think all of you, to be honest, you felt some of those feelings at some time. Where are those feelings coming from? Is that the Spirit of God? Welling up in you and causing you to think those things? Or is that the flesh? Who does God say vengeance belongs to? Right? Somewhere there in the Bible, doesn't he say, if somebody lies about you, tells something wrong on you, or hurts you, or somebody you care about, you take vengeance on them. Call down fire from heaven on them. No, he doesn't. I think he gets on to some of the disciples for wanting to do that very thing, doesn't he? He says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Listen to me. When they come at you, and you might think, buddy, you told the wrong thing on the wrong person, and you're ready to fight, and you're ready for war, and you might think you're ready for a real battle. I'll tell you what's even harder. is a step back and not fight that battle, and let God fight it instead. That's hard. Yeah, I'll guarantee you it's hard. I know, because I have failed many times on that front. You know what happens? Here's what it's like. It's kind of like trying to stomp out a fire that's too big to stomp out. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? You know, just a little, you know, ember here and there, a little, whatever, you can stomp that out. But you ever tried to stomp out fire that's too big to stomp out? I have. I burned down the back of our yard and about part of the woods whenever me and Jennifer first got married, burned trash. I melted my tennis shoes trying to stomp that thing out. It didn't work. Here's what happened. It's the same thing whenever, right? That's the fiery darts, and he's shooting them. And he wants you. He wants you to give in to the flesh and, do, and run out there and, and melt your shoes trying to stomp it out. That's what he wants you to do. You know what happens? You end up spreading it. You end up spreading. You don't believe me? Listen, let me tell you something that I have noticed uh, several times, lots of times. Things have happened, right? There's been a problem between some people. With me, I mean, as a pastor, usually it's something in a church somewhere or something or has to do with people that are in church somewhere that I know somehow or connected to somehow or whatever. And they will come and they think that I know all about it because I think everybody knows all about it because they think everybody's been talking about it. I didn't have a clue until you come and told me. 
Now, I'm not a gossip. I'm not going to run around. But how many gossips have you went? Did you go and in trying, thinking that you're defending yourself? Right? When you're defending yourself, you're trying to stomp out the fire. You think you're stomping out the fire, but actually you're spreading the embers. You're giving them this stuff. They didn't know, but now they're going to call everybody they know and they're going to tell them. And you know what else happens, right? That's why I think this is a good analogy. You know what else what ha- happens if you're not careful whenever you try to put out a fire, stomp out a fire that's too big to stomp out? You end up getting hurt in the process too. Worse than what you already was. I know it's hard to do. I know it's hard to do. So Jesus, he goes to fighting against the devil. He gets opposition from his friends. He gets opposition from those hypocrites, right? They're supposed to be religious. They're supposed to be the most religious of the religious folks. They're supposed to be the holiest. And you know, going back here to our text here, you know that this was a rumor from verse 30. Let me read it to you. Verse 30 says, Because they said he hath an unclean spirit. There's a special word used there. They said. I tell this, one of these days I'll get to preach to a bunch of preachers and I got one or two nuggets of wisdom that I can share with them. Here's one of them. As somebody, I've learned this as a pastor, but I think this would apply to anybody that's in any kind of a leadership position at all. Maybe it's a teacher, maybe you're teaching a youth class. Right? Maybe you're leading a group of whatever, doing something, a ministry, a project, whatever it might be. When somebody comes to you and they're saying, they said, but they won't say who they are, it's just they said, or someone said, but I can't tell you who said it. Don't listen to them. Give it no credence whatsoever. Ignore it. Ignore it. Assume it is not true. Most of the time, whoever comes to you saying they said, it's really them. They're the ones. They're the they. That person is the they. Uh, But if somebody, the Bible makes it very clear. If you have ought with your brother, right? So in other words, if they're Christian and they're trying to obey by the word of God, trying to follow the edicts of the kingdom, and you're a Christian, what are they supposed to do? Run and tell somebody else and tell them to anonymously go tell you? Write an unsigned letter? No. It says go to them. Go to them face to face. And if they won't hear you, go back with two or three. They said. Here's what I say. I say, let them talk. Let them talk. And you, and I know this is hard, you just go on and live for God. Let them talk for Satan and Don't dignify it. Don't engage in it. Let them talk for Satan. Let them be Satan's mouthpiece all they want and you go on and live for God. Here's what you'll do. And I'm telling you this from experience. I have done it multiple times in my own ministry. Live down the rumors and the misinformation. Live it down. Live for God. Let them talk as long as they want. They're not going to talk about you forever. It's not going to be long until they're ready to move on to somebody else and they're talking to somebody else. Let your light shine. Let your life prove, right? Let God do the fighting for you. He'll take care of it. And you know what? Rest in this. Rest in this. They will one day have to answer to God for their talk. Don't think they're off the hook with nothing. 
They're going to have to stand before an almighty God who knows the truth and knows everything and they're going to have to give an account not only for every deed but for every idle word spoken. That's what the word of God says. That's what... They'll have to stand before God and they'll have to give an answer for the things that they've said. And you will have to stand before God one day and give an answer for how you've lived. So worry about living for God. Let them worry about talking. Here's the other group. And this one can be difficult. Verse 31. And they came then his brethren and his mother standing without and sent unto him, calling him. His, uh, this is his family. His own mother called him out of this prayer meeting in order to correct him and try to set him straight. Now think about this for a minute. If Mary, the mother of Jesus, knew what she knew, well, we've already studied that some in our Bible study in Matthew, if she knew what she knew and still opposed him, we should know that we're going to have opposition from family too. Now, she was not angry with him. She was just trying, in her own mind, she thought she was trying to do what was best for him. She thought she was trying to help him. She was simply trying to get him to do things a little bit differently, the way that she thought they ought to be done. Now, maybe... Maybe your family, every one of them, is good Christian people and they see it just exactly the way you see it and they're right there with you and no problems, no opposition there. Praise the Lord if that is the case. For most of us, if not all of us, there is at least one or two, there's at least some, if not a lot of family. And when you go to fight against the devil... There's going to be opposition there. Me and Jennifer, when we first got saved, I first got saved, she, um, is it fair to say rededicated, Jennifer? Okay. I had to go home with her. I wanted to make sure I said it right. <laughs> Once in a while, I forget the fight. It's not against flesh and blood, and I, I, I want her to get saved. But then I, you know, so anyway. All of a sudden, our families had known that when the holidays come around, there was a lot going on. There was, there was always like, I don't know, at that time in our lives, there was like five different places for us to go to. And everybody had been, especially like my mom and her mom, had always been real flexible and just kind of whatever. All of a sudden, after I got saved and she got rededicated and we got serious and we were fighting against the devil, all of a sudden, they had to have family get-together, right, for Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever. It had to be every time. It had to be on Sunday. That Sunday. And we just flat out, I told Jennifer from the beginning, I said, no, we're not going to do it. If they want to come here and everything can fit between services, we'll talk about that. But short of that, no, we can do it on Saturday. I said, we can do it on any day of the week. I'll take off work for it. But we ain't doing it on Sunday. I'm telling you, that's when God began to show me, right? It wasn't flesh and blood that we were fighting against, right? There was, there was a spiritual wickedness, a spiritual darkness that was behind that, that was doing everything it could to get us just to compromise a little bit. We took a stand, right? Sunday is the Lord's Day, right? It's dedicated to Him. That's what I'm doing, right? Uh, come, you know, whatever. I don't care. I don't care if I've got to make a boat out of them old pallets I've got out there in my shed and use a two-by-four for a paddle. We are going to church, period. And all you all are loading up in the car 
pilot boat or whatever it is and you're going with us and that's where we're going to be and if her mama or my mama or anybody else wants to see us they can get on the pilot boat and go with us because that's where we're going to be. Glory, hallelujah. That's just the way it was. And don't think that wasn't a fight at times. Not between me and her. But don't think they was some opposition. Don't think the devil tried every way in the world he could to get us to compromise. He did. He done everything that he could to get us to compromise on that. Right? From just outward attack and just, you know, to guilt to, you know, well, we'll just, you know, push it a little bit and see how far we can push you on that. If Jesus had that kind of opposition, had any kind of opposition, think about his mother, right? The angel had come to her. She had conceived him as a virgin. Everybody else in the whole world could have their doubts about that, but she had zero doubts about that. She knew. Listen to me. If she could have some questions and bring some opposition, even though I am quite sure it was in the best way possible, and I am quite sure that she, what she thought she meant, what she was trying to do, she thought was the best. I think she thought that she probably in this case knew better and she didn't want, you know, she, maybe she just thought, you know, the crowd is, is so much of a load on him, he's not even taking time to eat. And maybe she was simply saying, look, boy, son, you have got to eat, right? You've got to get away from this bunch and you've got to eat. Well, what's she forgetting about? He's God, right? He is man, but he is God, right? He could turn the stones into bread, right? We talked about what... He could do what it was. He was fighting against the devil. And it was a way to stop that, even just temporarily. So we see opposition. We see opposition from friends, from the hypocrites, and from a family. Something I want you to take note of this, that doesn't really have to do with my sermon, but it was here and we read it. Remember that Jesus counted the family of God greater than his ties to his earthly family. That's something to keep in mind. So, you may really surprise us. I need to quit. I can't believe how long I've preached. It may really surprise you what opposition you will face when you begin to fight Satan. When you really begin to do the work of God and you begin to fight against Satan and you decide that you're going to take a stand for God and the Word of God and the Bible and for righteousness and for holiness, um, you may be surprised, just as I have been, at some of the places that it will come from. But I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you tonight, fight him anyways. Hold strong, hold true, hold firm. Continue to fight the good fight, just as Paul charged Timothy. Continue to fight the good fight. Oppose Satan, oppose him publicly openly. Don't be shy about it. Don't be bashful about it. Don't be ashamed about it. I don't care what names they call you. I don't care if they call you a fanatic, if they call you some sort of phobe, a homophobe, a transphobe, you add phobe onto it, whatever it is, right? I don't care what it is they throw at you. They're just words. Let them be the mouthpiece for Satan. Don't stoop to their level and fight like they fight. Live for God. Continue to oppose Satan. Let it be known that you're against him and all the trouble that he is causing everywhere, that you're taking a stand for what is right and that you are on the winning side, right? I wouldn't let him forget it. Not for a moment would I let him forget what it says here at the end of the book. And I know what it says, right? I am on the winning side, right? I am a child of the king. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. I know what his end is. 
And when you do, when you do, you take that kind of stand, you'll have opposition of all sorts. But you'll also find that there's a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. And he will bind the strong man, just as it talks about in here. And he will give you the victory. It'll be in his time. It won't be in your time. I know what I talked about a while ago, people saying things that ain't true, lying, starting rumors, and gossiping and talking and stuff like that. You'd like, God, you'd like nothing better than for God to shut their mouth right then, wouldn't you? I know. Hey, I've even kind of prayed that away a time or two. I shouldn't have. But you understand what I'm saying? I've, I've asked God to strike down the liar before. But that's me. That's in my flesh. That's me wanting to see vengeance, right? I mean, that's me being like, okay, God, you said vengeance is yours. I'll let you have it. But do it right now and let me watch. That's kind of like Jonah, ain't it? God, don't work that way. It's in God's time. It's in God's time. It's in his way. And you know what? What if one day they actually truly repented and God forgave them? Are you still going to be mad at them? Are you still going to hold it against them? Don't you think you might ought to rejoice? Think of what God has forgiven you of and what he has redeemed you and I from. Praise the Lord if they were to find the same grace and mercy that you and I found. Listen to me. You're going to face opposition. Soon as you walk out them doors, if not before, you will face opposition. The strong man that he talked about here, he'll come at you. But know this, as Jennifer comes, you're not alone in this. You're not alone in this. So you've got brothers and sisters in Christ. That's part of us as a church family, right? That's why this whole, I'll just have church at my, on my own at home, you know. No, baloney. There's a lot of really good reasons God has commanded us not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. And especially as we see the end times approaching, right? The day of the Lord approaching. Well, he knew the opposition was going to become even stronger. The old devil's going to fight harder. The closer to the end, the harder he is, he's going to fight. But know that you also, that friend that sticketh closer than a brother that I talked about, I'm talking about Jesus. He's there with you every step of the way. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Listen to me. Your friends, they can let you down. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, they might not mean to, but they might let you down. Your family, they love you, but they might be a time where they let you down too. But Jesus, he'll never let you down. He's there every step of the way. Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar. I want to give you an opportunity to come tonight. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come tonight? Maybe you, I, I, I firmly believe, I didn't preach this message tonight for no reason. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, Satan didn't oppose me in this for no reason. So I know that I know that this is for some of you, maybe all of you. If you've got a burden, if you've got a need, if the Spirit of God is dealing with you tonight, would you come? Whatever it is, don't be shy, don't be bashful. Stop worrying what other people think. It doesn't matter what they think. If the Spirit is drawing you, would you come tonight? Would you come?